Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Germany in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. This week, we're talking about what a NATO drill in Germany is all about. We're getting into Germany's heatwave plan and we'll talk about the difference between permanent residency and citizenship. With cannabis set to be legalized in Germany, if the government gets its way, we're talking about what a model region is. And we'll hear from German SPD MP Carmen Vega on why the government wants to legalize the drug and when it could happen. Lastly, we'll talk about why a museum in Baden-Württemberg could attract Baywatch fans. And we discuss our favorite quirky museums in Germany. I'm Rachel Loxton, and I'm in Berlin today with journalists Aaron Burnett and Imogen Goodman. Hello. Hi. Hello. Nice to see you both. How are you today? Oh, well, hot. But, you know, I mean (laughs) physically hot. (laughs) It's getting to be that time of year in Germany where I question this country's strange attitude to air conditioning, Mm. (laughs) which is not terribly uh, common in this country. And it is definitely not existing in this podcast booth right now, dear listeners, but we are suffering just for you. (laughs) No, we are definitely a little bit wild today. I feel like the heat has gone to our heads. A little bit, yeah. (laughs) I think so. I'm with Aaron there. I didn't grow up with air conditioning, but uh, having cycled from North Bedding today down to Schoenberg, I think I could could use a cool breeze in this uh, podcast studio right now. Yes, and we won't get it. So let's just get hotter. Exactly. (laughs) Well, we've got a lot to get through today, guys. So let's start off with what's in the news. NATO is carrying out its largest air force deployment exercise in Europe this week, and it's being led by Germany. Aaron, this seems kind of serious. What is going on? Well, Rach, with Russia waging a war of aggression against Ukraine right now, the NATO military alliance, of which Germany is a part, of course, is doing this exercise to really demonstrate that it means business on a couple of fronts. So firstly, to show that NATO countries can respond fast and furious to any attack on NATO territory, that message is primarily but not exclusively aimed at Russia in particular. Second, it's also uh, for NATO country pilots to practice working together, including at a very large scale to respond quickly and as a team to any serious threats if they happened in real life. You are talking about dozens of members of NATO, and uh, as such, not all of those pilots have actually worked together before, and you need to have some kind of interoperability to um, be able to respond when you need to if something happened like, uh, let's say, the Russian military decided to send drones or a cruise missile to a city 
in NATO country, you would want those pilots to be able to respond quickly in real life. So these kinds of drills help do that. Third, NATO is wanting to show that it's serious about working with non-NATO countries like Japan and Sweden, who are also taking part in this exercise. And Sweden is also looking to join NATO as well. Finally, Germany in particular gets the chance to show that it's committed to NATO by hosting and leading this particular exercise in Europe. And it's being held in German airspace, right? For the most part, yes. For the most part. There's a few exercises that could be done in uh, Czech or Estonian airspace as well, but it's primarily in Germany. How will it affect daily life in Germany then? Well, we're talking about 10,000 people and some 250 military planes conducting drills again, mostly in German airspace, until June 23rd, Mm. so about another week or so. Uh, And they're going to be doing these exercises between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. on weekdays. Uh, So none happening on the weekend there. But during this time, or these time windows, military planes will have right of way over civilian ones in German airspace and with air traffic control. So with a scale like that, uh, this means that we could see some flight delays, we could see some cancellations even. This is particularly true around where a lot of the drills will take place around Frankfurt and Berlin. Mm-hmm. In particular, authorities are working to limit any delays or cancellations, but they still say that they can't guarantee that there won't be any. The other thing that could happen is we may also see some civilian airplanes. They might have to make some detours in German airspace to steer clear of where the exercises are happening. So it could see a couple minutes added onto the length of some flights while they make those detours. If you're flying inside the 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday to Friday window, you could see some disruption. If you're not flying at that time, either grounded or taking a night flight or something, then uh, you're in the clear. Really good to know. Thanks for that, Aaron. So let's move on and talk about what else is in the news this week. It's been really warm weather in Germany, as we've been discussing, and the German Weather Service has predicted that it will be another hot summer with high temperatures and extreme dryness. And this week, Health Minister Karl Lauterbach revealed he was working on a heatwave plan. Imogen, why does Germany need this heatwave plan? Well, yeah, as you say, um, this summer is set to be really, really hot, but that really isn't an exception anymore. One of the most dramatic effects of climate change that we're seeing in Germany in particular is these consistently hot, humid summers with temperatures that are just unthinkable um, or were unthinkable two decades ago. So last year, you might remember some parts of the country even reached 40 degrees, um, which is a number you'd probably associate more with parts of Africa or the Middle East than Northern Europe. Beyond these kind of dramatic highs, we're also seeing much more regular heat waves. Um, So that's when temperatures reach 30 degrees or more for several days in a row. So I know in some senses, we've got this tendency in cooler countries to just get really excited when there's going to be a heat wave and talk about going to the beach and all our our kind of barbecue plans. But the reality is that this extreme heat can be very, very strenuous on the human body. And especially if you're elderly or maybe have a pre-existing condition, it can be really, really dangerous. So generally, between uh, 5,000 and 20,000 people die each year in Germany as a result of um, hot weather. 
And the healthcare system is also really struggling to cope with the number of people who need assistance or emergency care during these heat waves. So in that context, Health Minister Carl Lauterbach is really keen to put a national heatwave plan in place that would basically allow the government to try and put more protective measures in place and try and prevent some of these avoidable deaths. So what would this involve, this heatwave plan? Well, at the moment, this is all in the planning and kind of consultation stages. So we don't really know what it'll look like just yet. But the idea is to base it on this French model, um, which basically ranks heat waves of different severities on a four-part color-coded scale and kind of recommends different measures um, at different intensities on this scale. So this actually does sound quite similar to the kind of thing we saw during COVID, where we had these restrictions that were kind of linked to things like the incidence of infections and the number of people in intensive care. So in my opinion, that might be what attracts Carl Lauter back to it. He was always a fan of his very sort of color-coded, graded systems. Um, That's right. He absolutely was. Yeah. <laughs> the more complicated, the better, I think, was the uh, yeah was the idea. Yeah. Um, but when we're looking at meshes and, you know, what could they be? Again, we're not quite sure just yet, but um, if they're anything like France, we would expect that they would be things like free water dispensers, public awareness campaigns, home visits for vulnerable people, and perhaps even special protective cooling rooms where people can just escape the heat for a little bit if they're feeling overwhelmed. Excellent. Thank you for that, Imogen. Let's now turn to a practical topic that a lot of our readers and listeners are likely thinking about, and that's citizenship and permanent residency. Now, as regular listeners will know, the German coalition government is working on changing citizenship laws, which would allow dual citizenship for non-EU nationals and allow people to apply for German naturalization earlier than currently. That's still being worked on at the moment, but let's talk about what the differences are between citizenship and residency, and if it's worth applying for citizenship in the first place. Imogen, what are some of the key differences then when it comes to citizenship and permanent residency? Well, on the surface, they do seem quite similar, um, and there are quite a lot of similarities. Um, So the main one is that both statuses, as the name suggests, allow you to live in Germany for an unlimited period of time, basically forever if you want to. With either citizenship or permanent residency, uh, you also have the freedom to switch between different kind of professions and professional statuses. Uh, So for example, you can go from being freelance to being employed or enrolling as a student. And that's generally quite a difficult thing to do on most normal visas or resident permits. So you get so much more flexibility there with those two statuses. Another really great perk um, of both citizenship and permanent residency is that you basically have access to Germany's social and welfare system. So you can access things like unemployment or disability benefits, things like student loans and just other forms of financial support that are available if you're struggling or if you need it. If these are the main things you're looking for, uh, you may well be happy with permanent residency. Um, But there are some pretty significant perks to actually becoming a naturalised German. So the first I'd say is that your status is much, much more secure if you opt for citizenship over permanent residence. So rather than being a foreigner on a permit, even a permanent permit, being German means that you can leave the country for as long as you want, even settle abroad permanently 
without losing your rights in Germany, which just isn't the case on permanent residency. There's also the case that if you use the welfare system or find yourself unemployed, you won't have to worry about potentially being turned down for German citizenship in the future since you'll already have it and your status is safe. So that's something that people on permanent residency who want to become German might need to worry about. Secondly, um, and this is pretty key, um, as a German, you gain the right to vote in all elections, including federal elections, and can even stand as an MP if you want to. On permanent residence, in contrast, you can live here for decades paying taxes and using public services without ever having a say in how that tax money is spent or how those services are run. The third key benefit is that as a German, you also become an EU citizen with all the rights that that entails. So the major one that everyone knows is freedom to work and live anywhere in the EU without a visa. You also get benefits like visa-free travel to new, numerous other countries. Um, and you're also able to take on jobs that are really in the special category of EU-only jobs. Also, and finally, your child will automatically become German if you have German citizenship, um, even if they're born outside Germany. So with permanent residence, the current rule is that you can, they become German if you've lived here at least eight years, though this will be shortened, but they have to be born here or your partner has to be German. None of those rules really apply. If you have citizenship, it's an automatic right, no matter where your child is born. Really good to know. Aaron, what kind of paperwork or action do these two things require? Well, Rach, a lot of those uh, things needed for either citizenship or permanent residency are essentially the same. And with the new law coming uh, down the pipeline sometime this year, we hope, that will, of course, allow dual citizenship um, as well as shorten the time that you need uh, to be resident in Germany in order to apply for citizenship. It'll start looking <laughs> very much the same. Right now, you need to be resident in Germany for five years to apply for permanent residency and eight for citizenship. That law will shorten the citizenship wait to five. So it's basically a question of which status. Um, but what you need in terms of language requirements, essentially the same under the new law, B1 German. Uh, you'll also need to take a type of uh, life in Germany test. It's basically the same test for either permanent residency or uh, citizenship. One thing that you would need if you were to apply for citizenship before the new law comes down, uh, if you wish to keep your other citizenship, is of course an exception that you have applied for to keep your other passport to pass in with your application. And for both of these, you're also going to have to prove certain uh, security. So a place to live, uh, health insurance, uh, the fact that you've paid in um, to uh, the system, such as your pension insurance, your health insurance, your unemployment insurance, for example, without having had to uh, resort to too many benefits within a particular period of time. If you have permanent residency, how long can you leave Germany for without losing it? Well, this is um, unfortunately a little bit convoluted with lots of exceptions, but we can boil it down and make it quite simple. For most people, the general rule is no longer than six months or 12 months if you have a specific reason to be abroad. So that could be caring for a sick relative or perhaps doing two semesters of study abroad. There are exceptions, as I say. Um, one key one is people who are married to a German or who have an underage child or who have lived here for more than 15 years, they can actually apply for a special exception uh, to this, um, a certificate, and they can then be 
outside the country for as long as they want, as long as they can prove they're financially stable on their return. As I say, other exceptions, but these are general rules to know. So what do you guys think then? Is it worth applying for German citizenship if you're eligible or does permanent residency cut it? Definitely. I mean, I'm in the process of making the switch right now uh, from my kind of post-Brexit British permanent residency to German citizenship. Um, And for me, the big, big benefit is being able to participate democratically and actually vote. I also think that for Brits, uh, it does take on another meaning after Brexit because it really marks the regaining of EU citizenship and EU rights that we may have kind of lost after that vote. Uh, So for me, it was really, really important. It's an emotional thing to become naturalised in the country where you live. And yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a personal decision, but one that I think was important for me to take. Well, I might be the wrong person to ask simply because I have been a dual German-Canadian citizen since birth. But voting in your first German election, as I did in 2013, uh, after I moved here in 2011, came with a pretty special feeling, uh, that, that, that first vote. Uh, and as we know, life happens. If you're a citizen and you need to leave for a while uh, to take care of your family, or maybe there's an exciting new job for you or for your partner or in your family, or there's an education opportunity that you really want to take, you can always leave and come back without worrying about whether you're uh, losing your rights or not. That said, citizenship is a big decision, and it goes right to the core of someone's identity. Uh, for me, it is or I think it should be more than a piece of paper, and it's a very personal decision for people. As a dual citizen myself, I can also completely understand why someone would want to stick with permanent residency right now until the new dual citizenship law is passed. Links with home are still important. I can't imagine you know, not being Canadian legally as well as feeling that way in addition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh, lovely to hear your personal experience, guys. Thank you for that. The German government is working on a law to legalize the recreational use of cannabis. We'll hear from Social Democrat member of the Bundestag, Carmen Vega, who is part of the team working on the law soon. But first, let's talk about what they actually want to see happen and what a so-called cannabis model region is. Aaron, can you give us a quick overview of what's in the draft law? Well, we're not going to see those originally envisioned Amsterdam-style coffee shops. (laughs) That, Not going to happen. Yeah, that I know that maybe some people were were hoping for, uh, at least not now anyway. What, what we're going to see are so-called members-only social clubs where, again, members-only can buy up to 25 grams at a time uh, to a maximum of 50 per month. You also can't smoke on the premises of these clubs, so I'm not sure why they want to call them social clubs, if I'm honest. <laughs> they just sound very social. <laughs> yeah, they, anti-social clubs. Yeah, they're really not supposed to be social, <laughs> according to this draft law, so I don't know why they call them this. Uh, and you can only be a member of one of these uh, clubs at a time. There's no trying to, you know, get 100 grams a month by being a member of two clubs or, or something. Yep. Um, people will be able to carry up to 25 grams on them at any given time, as long as you're not consuming it or kiffen, as they say in German, useful mm. German word, um, you know, for, for smoking specifically cannabis is kiffen rather than rauchen. Yeah, don't be anywhere near a, uh, a school or a kita and decide that you're going to 
Kiff. <laughs> um, this the, the draft law will very, very, very specifically still forbid this. Uh, so watch where you are. You'll also be able to grow up to three plants at home per person. And this is uh, something earlier drafts of the uh, law said per household. It is per person three plants under this current draft. Uh, we may also see some specially licensed. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since shops on the premises of some regional pilot projects where you might be able to buy directly from a grower, it would be a bit like being able to buy beer, but only directly from the brewery, for example, that makes it rather than some uh, retail shop or spatey. So Aaron, you've talked about these pilot projects. These are kind of known as model cities or model regions. Have any places shown interest in becoming a model region? Oh, yeah, yeah? <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Uh, the big question is not whether there's <laughs> regions or sort of local councils that are interested. We seem to have plenty of those at the moment. The question is really who gets to make this decision because mm -hmm. uh, we've seen Cologne having voted in favor of hosting one of these pilot projects. We also see that Munich's Social Democrats and Greens want uh, Munich to become a model region. But in power uh, at the state level is the conservative CSU, and the health minister there in Bavaria has said basically <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> he will, you know, fight like hell to make sure this doesn't happen. And actually, the same thing is true in North Rhine-Westphalia. Regardless of how Cologne votes, the health minister there has also said there is no way. <laughs> so it's and gonna, he's conservative too. Yeah, it? so there, it's going to be kind of interesting to see who gets to make this decision and whose say really prevails. Um, in Berlin, um, we also have a conservative mayor. We have a black-red coalition that has just taken office, and they have not said anything yet. They've not weighed in to whether they favor this or not, but there are individual councils who voted and said, yeah, we want to do it. Those would be Friedrichshain, Kreuzberg, and Lichtenberg, uh, so far anyway. We also have local councillors and city leadership in Hamburg, Frankfurt, Offenbach, and Leipzig, who want to take part in these model regions. But again, it's going to be interesting to see who's, uh, you know, there's going to be a bit of a power struggle and we're going to see who wins. Mm -hmm. And the model regions are the second stage of the plans, aren't they? So they'll kind of come a little later than the social clubs. Yes, they will. Yeah, we'll be seeing those social clubs first for people who are interested in becoming members. But yeah, let's see what happens in the next fight <laughs> for these model regions. Imogen, so not everyone is for these plans, are they? <laughs> 
I think that's fair to say. I think as Aaron's um, great summary there revealed, there is big opposition and particularly from the CDU and CSU who, I guess, given their Christian roots, have taken quite a traditional and conservative line on this. So most recently, we had Thomas Strubel, who's the CDU interior minister in Baden-Württemberg, and he was basically complaining that states bordering other countries could become hotspots for this kind of cannabis tourism, um, people flooding over the border to uh, get stoned in their states. Personally, <laughs> I do find it a bit hard to imagine Stuttgart becoming the new Amsterdam um, after these new clubs, anti-social clubs open up. But maybe that's just me. Uh, we'll see uh, what the effect of the legislation is. There are also quite a few voices, um, including the police union and some sort of academics, who are basically arguing that this legislation, as it stands, has no chance of tackling the black market. So that's a big goal of the law, cracking down on organised crime and, you know, the sale of cannabis that's far less healthy because it's laced um, with God knows what. But they are arguing that because it will be so hard <laughs> to get hold of cannabis, because it will be so regulated, it could be that there's no chance that it's really going to affect people's behaviours. People are still going to get their weed from street dealers, which means that money would still likely be flowing into this organised crime and the products may not be that much safer. So that is another real major criticism of this law as it stands. Well, and also the idea that you have a maximum that you're allowed to buy in any given month. I mean, <laughs> what if you have, I mean, I don't really, you know, know how much 50 grams of, of bubats, as they say in German is, but um, I could imagine that perhaps some people would buy a bit more or want to buy a bit more. <laughs> I've heard, I did have to look this up. I've heard that it's around, it's 100 very, very, very generous joints, roughly. It's 50 grams. Uh, yeah, I would say, but actually it might, it might be more than that it depends i guess how you how you roll your joints but i would say right, it's enough to be pretty stone most days of the week i would imagine mm. depending on your tolerance oh well there you go but we'll see i'm sure there are people who consume more i'm sure thank you so much for that summary guys let's hear now from spd mp carmen vega who is a rapporteur for the new law i started off by asking her why the german government wants to legalize cannabis this is a simple question, um, and I need a lot of minutes to answer it, <laughs> but I will try to uh, explain it short. In Germany, we have a lot of people consuming cannabis. Uh, it's maybe the same in the UK. And these people are consuming cannabis from the black market. And we saw in the last few years that the cannabis quality on the black market is getting worse and worse with synthetic cannabinoids um, and stuff like this. So a lot of people who are consuming cannabis, and it doesn't matter if it's legal or illegal, is consuming cannabis in a bad way. So we have to consider that the drug politic way in the last decades, you can say, was the wrong way. So we need a new way to deal with drugs, especially cannabis, and we want to try a new way. And we have a lot of other states who are going this way so far, like Canada, um, in the U.S., 
and uh, in Europe as well. So we say, okay, we want to join this way and try something else to do it more healthy, um, to have more prevention for kids and children and stuff like that. We think the new way will be the better one. And previously, the government wanted to allow the sale of cannabis in licensed shops and pharmacies. But the, the previous draft law was changed after consultation with the EU. Is the government disappointed about that? And is the aim for this to happen in future? We want to legalize cannabis in the way we wanted to do it before. So it will be our aim to change the European law so that every state in the EU can legalize cannabis in this way. But now we want to go the European law safe way, I would say. So we just want to do things where we know that they are not against European and international law. So we change the way we are legalize cannabis, but it will be our aim or our goal to do it in a full version. We want to decriminalize that you have cannabis. We want to allow that you can grow your own plants, free plants. And we want uh, to allow cannabis social clubs where you consume and you can grow cannabis on your own. And in the last step, we want model regions where you can sell cannabis um, in stores. Do you know where the model regions will be at this stage? There are a lot of cities that want to become model region. And I think in our vision of model region, it's like when you can fulfill every aspect you need for a model region, you can be one. So it's not limited. But when you find stores or um, consumers, and you know, consumers we will find everywhere, but <laughs> producers, you know what I mean, then, then you can be a model region. Interesting. And Carmen, do you see Germany going down the route of cannabis coffee shops like in Amsterdam? No, we definitely don't want to do that. In Amsterdam, you have organized crime uh, since the back door of the coffee shop. And that's something what we don't want. So when you are in the model region and have, a, yeah, let's call it coffee shop, then uh, the cannabis is planted and grown in a state regulated um, area. We know um, what's inside, uh, how much percent of THC you have and stuff like that. So we don't want the same situation as in Amsterdam. And they don't want it anymore, too. They will have model regions. They're starting in the end of this year as well uh, to see how they can change their concept. OK, and there are some critics to the, the plans, to the government plans, like the Christian Democrats. And they've said it's not really clear how children and young people will be protected. So how does the government plan to protect young people? In the beginning, you have to say now young people and children are not even uh, are not protected because they're consuming cannabis. Uh, the the numbers are increasing. So we believe that when you say something is illegal and say you don't have to do any prevention work because it's illegal, so we don't have to do that. It's not a good way. So when we decriminalize cannabis, we want as well give a lot of money in prevention projects at schools. We want that people under 18 years old, when the police maybe find cannabis with them, that they have to go to prevention projects. We say you can just buy cannabis when you're 18 years old and we are fighting against the black market. So we regulate how you can get cannabis and um, you can just grow cannabis when children and young people are not able to get through the cannabis plant and stuff like that. So a lot of different uh, topics we have to prevent the children and right now there is no real prevention for them. Mm -hmm. It really sounds like a whole cultural shift or societal shift in the way of thinking of, of this drug. 
you can say revolution. Okay, and you've mentioned, Carmen, about tackling the black market, but the police union has said that it doesn't think legalizing cannabis will have a big impact on the black market. Do you think it will? Yes, and they are wrong. And um, every time I'm speaking with them, I'm telling them that because when you look at the facts, at the numbers and dates uh, and datas we have, then you just need to look to Canada. In Canada, the black market is going back from 100% to 50% in four years. It's right that the black market won't vanish in one day uh, when we legalize cannabis, but we can say it has a big impact uh, on the black market and it's getting less. The one thing that is interesting about the the new draft is that there are still quite a lot of rules about where you can smoke cannabis, for example, not next to the social clubs. So will police be having to carry out a lot of checks still anyway? Or is this something that concerns you? There are a lot of regulations. It's Germany. (laughs) But we are in the beginning of the draft and not in the end. And our aim is that Everyone can have a legal way to cannabis, or, uh, what is healthier than that, what you get on the uh, black market. And there maybe won't be so much more regulation in the end of the draft. But I think it's good that we think about the abuse from the new draft we are doing or the new way we are going now. And so when is this legalization expected to happen? This is uh, the question everyone is asking me since one and a half years. <laughs> uh, and now we are coming to an end. I hope the first draft uh, we have um, will be in September, October in the parliament um, and then is finalized in September, October. So this year will be the year of the cannabis legalization in Germany and the second draft with the modern regions. I hope that we will have it this year in parliament as well. So um, we are going this year a big step when it comes to cannabis. Wow. So do you think, when will it actually become, be legal to say, smoke a joint in the street or like to actually do it? Because I imagine there would be some kind of bedding in period with the, the law. I would say between October and December. Okay, excellent to know. And lastly, Carmen, when do you think, I know you're. this is still kind of in the future, but when do you think it might become available in like some pharmacies, shops? Do you think that would be in the next few years or a longer period? What's the kind of aim? I think 2024, next year. Really? You think it could get to that stage already next year? Yes. Next year, we will have uh, the draft and we have in the parliament um, and it will pass the parliament. And then we have to see how many cities uh, want to be a modern region, if they find the partners soon enough and stuff like that. But I think when everything goes great, we will have it next year. You seem very confident about it all and kind of like you're ready for this big change. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I'm working on the next steps. I'm in contact with the members of the European Parliament to change the European law and stuff like that. So it's not the end, but it's I would say it's the big beginning in Germany and maybe then for the EU. Really good to hear from the Social Democrats, Carmen Vega there. We're going to finish off today by talking about unusual museums in Germany. So I had this idea on the back of a news story about the Bikini Art Museum in Bad Rappenau in Baden-Württemberg. Yes, there is a swimsuit museum there. (laughs) And it it recently bid for Pamela Anderson's famous red Baywatch swimsuit. So if you want to see that swimsuit, you got to head to that museum. 
David Hasselhoff's swim shorts are also there, apparently. But Germany actually has quite a lot of random and interesting museums. So I was really desperate to ask you both, what is your favorite quirky museum that you want to visit or that you already have visited? So this isn't one I've visited just yet, but it is on my it is on my to do list. Um, it's actually the Dackel Museum, which is dedicated to sausage dogs or wiener dogs in American English, <laughs> otherwise known I, as. <laughs> I see what you did there, <laughs> North American English. I've been I've been practicing. Oh yes, North American English exactly. <laughs> um, so this is is just a wonderful concept. It was opened by two absolute Dachshund obsessives uh, called Seppi. Kuppelbeck and Oliver Sturz in Passau in Bavaria. It has thousands of exhibits dedicated to these lovely little long sausage-shaped dogs, um, including figurines. You can see Dachshund art. You can see sort of furniture based on Dachshunds. You can read about cultural history of the Dachshund. And you can also meet Sepp and Oliver's own three Dachshunds uh, who hang out in the museum, which is just super exciting. Uh, So this was originally... Um, yeah, yeah, living exhibits. How oh, it's 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 a wonderful concept. Um, they do have a shop where you can buy sort of Dachshund paraphernalia. And as I said, it was originally uh, opened in Passau in Bavaria, but they did have a rather bitter argument with the council, which led to them closing their premise there. But luckily, you can still go. They found a new premises, uh, a new premise in Regensburg. So they've recently reopened their doors. And as I say, it's on my to do list. I can't wait. That's so cute and so specific. Yeah. (laughs) Aaron, what are you talking about today? Well, um, I'm not usually the quirky museum guy, but as close to quirky as I get sometimes might be the Berlin Unterwelten or Underworld. That would be a pick of mine, where you can tour old U-Bahn lines and other tunnels that that the people used to escape to freedom from East Germany to West Germany uh, before the fall of the wall. Uh, you have to book these tours in advance, up to a month in advance, uh, but they are incredible. They're also popular, so book early. Uh, another one I want to check out is the Berlin Story Bunker. It's built right into a bomb shelter right near Anhalterbahnhof in Berlin. But also, uh, while researching our uh, episode today on bubats or kiffin, cannabis, um, I found out that uh, Berlin actually has a hemp museum. Yeah, it does. It does. It has a Hunf museum. Apparently, um, the the owner wants to, you know, is very keen to start up one of these social clubs or uh, or one of these. Of uh, course, they are. Yeah, regional growing projects if they get to do it or or whatever. So that could you know. make these clubs a bit more social. You go and buy your boobats and then you say, hey guys, want to visit a museum? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where you probably couldn't consume it, but no, at the very you least. You could learn about the history of it. Yeah, you could educate yourself a bit. That's a nice tip. Uh, I would also add to that there's a David Hasselhoff Museum in Berlin. It's, really? Yes, there is. It started We're off, really on a Baywatch theme today, aren't I, we? <laughs> we? We are. It started off as a shrine to the actor and singer. Uh, it's in the Circus Hostel in Berlin, down in the, the basement. And now it's a full-blown little museum. He, of course, did a famous concert after the fall of the Berlin Wall, and he is loved by Germans. 
that's fair to say that, right? He is. He yeah. is. He's um he's just become this icon of that time and of the wall falling and it it feels like the myths about his involvement in the fall of the wall get more um overblown every time I hear one. But hilariously he actually um he actually was um employed by the German government to make a um an announcement during the corona time to get people to get vaccinated. Yes. He's like their secret weapon. People listen to David Hasselhoff. They yeah. crank him out at times of national emergency to ensure that people are towing the line, which I just think is fantastic. Yeah, he's the, he's the only one who can really talk to the Germans. <laughs> right true. in the, right in the, you know, right from the basement. They keep him in the basement and they bring him out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe he is in there, but <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> Thank you both so much for those tips. That's it for this week. We are melting here, so we have to leave. But thank you to all our listeners. And we will add links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about. This week's panelists have been Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett. Our guest was MP Carmen Vega and our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. We hope you enjoyed listening. Please leave a review or a rating and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be back again next week. Until then, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.